Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 5 now. God's Word, Isaiah chapter 5. We're going to be reading the whole chapter, verses 1 through 30. The passage we're looking at today, continuing where we have been reading from in verses 8 through 30. But we'll read the whole chapter. Matthew chapter 5 and the whole chapter. Before we read God's Word, let's pray. Gracious Father, we come now pleading that You would show mercy to us, that not one here would be found in this life to be a covenant breaker. But make us, by Your grace, by Your Spirit, to be covenant keepers, that Your name would be praised, that we would not exalt in ourselves, but we would exalt in our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ, the administrator of the covenant of grace and the dispenser of every good benefit and blessing of all Your promises. We pray in His name. Amen. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1, these are God's words. Now will I sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill, and he fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof, and planted it with the choicest vine, and built a tower in the midst of it, and also made a winepress there. And then he looked that it should bring forth grapes And it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem, men of Judah, judge, I I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes. And now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up and it. Break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down, and I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned nor digged, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his pleasant plant. And he looked for judgment, but behold, oppression. For righteousness, but behold, a cry. Woe unto them that join house to house, that lay field to field, till there be no place, that they may be placed alone in the midst of the earth. In mine ears said the Lord of hosts, of a truth, many houses shall be desolate, even great and fair, without inhabitant. Yea, ten acres of vineyard shall yield one bath, and the seed of a homer shall yield an ephah. Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning that they may follow strong drink that continue until night to wine inflame them. And the harp and the vial and the tabret and pipe and wine are in their feasts, but they regard not the work of the Lord, neither consider the operation of His hands. Therefore my people are gone into captivity because they have no knowledge and their honorable men are famished. And their multitude dried up with thirst. 
Therefore hell hath enlarged herself and opened her mouth without measure in their glory, in their multitude, in their pomp, and he that rejoiceth shall descend into it. And the mean men shall be brought down, and the mighty man shall be humbled, and the eyes of the lofty shall be humbled. But the Lord of hosts shall be exalted in judgment, and God that is holy shall be sanctified in righteousness. Then shall the lambs feed after their manner, and the waste places of the fat ones shall strangers eat. Woe unto them that draw iniquity with cords of vanity and sin, as it were with a cart rope, that say, Let him make speed and hasten his work that we may see it. And let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw nigh and come that we may know it. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine and men that men of strength to mingle strong drink, which justify the wicked for reward and take away the righteousness of the righteous from him. Therefore, as the fire devoureth the stubble and the flame consumeth the chaff, so their root shall be as rottenness and their bosom shall go up as dust because they have cast away the law of the Lord of hosts and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. Therefore is the anger of the Lord kindled against His people and He has stretched forth His hand against them and has smitten them. And the hills did tremble and their carcasses were torn in the midst of the streets. For all this His anger is not turned away, but His hand is stretched out still. And He will lift up an ensign to the nations from, from far, and will hiss unto them from the end of the earth. And behold, they shall come with speed swiftly. None shall be weary, none nor stumble among them. None shall slumber nor sleep, neither shall the girdle of their loins be loosed, nor the latchets of their shoes be broken, whose arrows are sharp and all their bows bent. Their horses' hoofs shall be counted like flint, and their wheels like a whirlwind. Their roaring shall be like a lion. They shall roar like young lions. Yea, they shall roar and lay hold of the prey, and shall carry it away safe, and none shall deliver it. And in that day they shall roar against them like the roaring of the sea. And if one look unto the land, behold darkness and sorrow. And the light is darkened in the heavens thereof. And those are God's words. And so now we're returning to our original passage in Isaiah 5. We read it many times. And verses 1 through 7 expounded that as well. And God's covenant people, verse 7, Israel and Judah, which were to produce good grapes, but they produced wild grapes, bad grapes. And the Lord, even Christ Jesus, did everything conducive for them to bring about great, a great and wonderful harvest amongst His covenant people. And yet, what did it produce but covenant breakers? Bad grapes. And so the covenant keepers was what was desired of the Lord, but covenant breakers is what came about. If you look at verse 7, it's very 
It uses the language of chapter 1, verse 17. And I'll read chapter 1, verse 17. You can look at verse 7. Chapter 1, verse 17 says, Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. The Lord had commanded them to be holy. And what He saw looking at the covenant people was unholy. Covenant breakers. And so His presence left them. He cared no more for His covenant people. He left them to themselves. Think of the parallel New Testament passage, Luke 13. He spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of, the, of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well. And if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. The farmer, the gardener, Jesus Christ. Friends, there are times when the church is the same as what we read here in Isaiah 5. And you might think, when will the Lord judge this congregation or that congregation or judge His church and bring it down? When will He cut the tree down? We might think of denominations. When will He do that to this denomination or that? The Lord is perfect in patience and long-suffering, even with His covenant people. But, He promises, a time will come when He can wait for fruits no longer. And the tree will be cut down according to His perfect justice if they have not repented and returned unto Him. Matthew 3, verse 10, John the Baptist said, And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. We read in Matthew 7 that Jesus said something similar. And in Matthew 21, Jesus said, And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon but leaves only, and said unto it, Let no fruit grow on thee henceforward forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. Immediately it withered and died. The covenant people of Israel had rejected the Son of God. John 15 We've read that many times as well. It says, Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye, that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, He may give it you. And so those are the New Testament similar passages. It's ours and. The passage continues this evening, verse 8, describing these covenant breakers and what will come upon them. And it's the same or similar what we would find in the New Testament. Why do we know this? Because God doesn't change. And we've learned that. There are six woes pronounced upon God's covenant people. There are 51 total woes pronounced in all the Old Testament. All of them by the prophets. And six of them are here in chapter 5. You see the beginning of the verses. Verse 8, 
11, 18, 20, 21, and 22. Verse 7, it gives you the general determination. But then the six woes described in more detail of the fruit of their covenant breaking. And that's the first point this evening. The fruit of covenant breaking. The fruit of covenant breaking. What kind of fruit is produced by covenant breakers? And here are some of them. There are six of them. What, did, what kind of fruit did Judah produce? Having been blessed so richly, given the whole land of Canaan, given the Lord's worship, given the Lord's law. And we could go on and on with how the Lord had blessed them. In verse 8, it says, Woe unto them that join house to house, that lay field to field, till there be no place, that they may be placed alone in the midst of the earth. Now, kids, you might not know what woe means when it's used in Scripture, but it is not good. It's very bad. And we're going to learn it has to do with God's judgment. He's pronouncing judgment upon a people when He uses that word woe. And so who is this first woe pronounced unto? What were the people of Judah doing to receive God's sentence of judgment? They were filled, it says, with greed. A greed that could not be satisfied. And so continuing, never-ending greed. They want more and more. House after house, field after field. They're trying to gobble it all up until there's nothing left. They put in their hearts to, they put their hearts to wealth. They place their happiness in the world, in property. And so they set themselves to attain these properties by unlawful means. They, they bring up more and more properties so that there are, there's no room for anyone to live in them anymore. And so that in taking all the property in the end, they would be essentially alone. You can kind of understand that in, in our nation where there are, there are properties that have thousands of acres and they keep buying up land around and they keep growing their property and they're all alone. They don't have neighbors because the neighbors are miles and miles and miles away. Now, is it sinful to buy property? To own property? Of course it is not. It's in keeping with the Eighth Commandment to own property. The issue here is the inordinate desire to enrich themselves with much property, so that it isn't almost—it's almost like they have nothing else to do but have more property. It's never enough for them either. It's never enough. They're never satisfied. They can't enjoy what they have, nor uh, do good with it. And so they have a winter house, a summer house, a spring house, a fall house, like some people here in our nation do. And if there is a home or a field near theirs, they have to have it. That's what he's talking about here. Ecclesiastes 5, it says, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. And there's not going to be any place for others to dwell therein. No place for others to possess the land. 
But consider how unlawful this was for Judah, especially for God's people. This was unlawful. It broke God's law. Leviticus 25 says, The land shall not be sold forever, for the land is mine. For ye are strangers and sojourners with me, and in all the land of your possession ye shall grant a redemption for the land. And so you see, friends, property was being alienated from the original owners contrary to God's intention of the land that was given to them in Joshua. Right? Each tribe got a parcel of land. And in that tribe, each family got a different part of that parcel. And it was supposed to be brought down and given to the next an inheritance. Right, Their sons were supposed to be given these properties, not sold, not selling them. And if they had come into poverty in which they had to sell, if we knew our Old Testament well, then we would know that they should be able to redeem that back in time. They should be able to have it bought back by a family member or whoever uh, to have it back. But here, uh, he's saying, whoa, here are the kings, the wealthy peoples breaking God's command." And they were accumulating large tracts of lands that, that God never intended for them, uh, for that land to be theirs. Consider even King Uzziah, the next chapter, uh, Isaiah 6, in the year King Uzziah died, right? King Uzziah, he does this. He's guilty of this. 2 Chronicles 26, we're not going to read it, but greed, friends, greed. As we are pilgrims, we're strangers on the earth, we must acknowledge that materialistic greed is a denial of our heavenly home. First Peter 2 says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. We recognize those verses. Hebrews 11 says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And so they look forward to something greater. But here he's condemning those who are not looking forward to something greater. Woe to such like that in Judah. Verse 9, In mine ears said the Lord of hosts of a truth, many houses shall be desolate, even great and fair without inhabitant. Yea, ten acres of vineyard shall yield one bath, and the seed of an homer shall yield an ephah. The judgment coming for Judah will be desolations upon their houses. The many houses they're accumulating, there will be desolation. Even the great ones. In verse 13, this will be in the exile. This is part of the exile that's coming. When the people go into captivity, there will be no one occupying their homes anymore. They'll go desolate. What happens when... Uh, it's interesting when we have a house, like if we have our, we have our own houses and... For five years, we're, we're often upkeeping them. But if you leave that house alone for five years, what happens? It starts to, the roof leaks and, and whatnot. It's amazing how when those houses are gone and there's no one occupying them, they come to ruin very quickly. And yet, you know, our own homes, we probably don't do much maintenance and they, God upholds them. Uh, even when we, don't check on a roof. They don't. It doesn't start to leak very often. And it's amazing here. There will be desolation to these houses. Verse ten. 
the vineyards, the fields will not produce anything like their normal crops, what they should. The amount that will be harvested, friends, will be, in other words, less than what it is worth to plant the field. So you planted the field and you get back less than what you used to plant the field. That's what he's saying here. And so an ephah will be the harvest of a field sown with a homer. Homer is greater than an ephah. Right? The harvest will produce about one-tenth of what was sown, what was put in seed and planted. What's that called? That's called famine. That's what that's called. Uh, today, farmers, if that was the, what was coming in and that, that's the, what the fields produced, what's being described here, farmers today wouldn't even harvest it. They would just go to their insurance companies and say, this isn't worth harvesting anymore. It's not worth using the fuel to harvest it. Instead, they would go to their insurance companies and get back maybe half the money they spent on the field that year. So such judgments are not new to the people. They already knew this would happen. It was told, this was promised to them in Deuteronomy 28. Thou shalt carry much seed out into the field and shalt gather but little in, for the locust shall consume it. Thou shalt plant vineyards and dress them, but shalt neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes, for the worms shall eat them. They were promised this. And if they were covenant breakers, that's what would happen, and that's what happened. The second woe, verse 11. Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning that they may follow strong drink that continue until night till wine inflame them. And the harp and the vial and the tabret and pipe and wine are in their feasts. But they regard not the work of the Lord, neither consider the operation of His hands. They're guilty of what? Disregarding the work of the Lord. Like those condemned in the judgments in Amos that we studied uh, a few years ago. Yes, their lives are filled with drunkenness and musical feasts to aid in their drunkenness, which the Lord condemns. Drunkenness accounts for much evil in the world today. One uh, who would become a spectacle, stumbling, even stumbling around in their own vomit. And this is the picture, especially in our world, of people who use alcohol as an escape from the circumstances and the problems of their lives. Jesus says in Luke 6, He says, But woe unto you that are rich, for ye have received your consolation. Woe unto you that are full, for ye shall hunger. Woe unto you that laugh now, right, feasting, for ye shall mourn and weep. These people that the Lord is describing in verses 11 and 12 give no care for the serious things. And children, you need to listen. Children, you listen to the Lord here. These are people who are utterly insensitive to the Lord's works. They don't care about what the Lord does to the things He's done. Consider how He created all things out of nothing in the space of six literal days. 
Consider His delivering Israel, His covenant people out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, like we prayed about. Consider how He gave them this great land of Canaan. And they regard not the work of the Lord, nor consider His power, what He does with His hands. And so, friends, the question that needs to be asked of all of us, are you regarding the works of the Lord in your life? Considering what He does and has done, or are you wasting it away in feasting and leisure? The judgment is pronounced in verse 13. Therefore my people are gone into captivity, exile, because they have no knowledge, and their honorable men are famished, and their multitude dried up with thirst. Right There's the fulfillment of Deuteronomy 28. Therefore hell hath enlarged herself and opened her mouth without measure, and their glory and their multitude and their pomp, and he that rejoiceth shall descend into it. And the mean man shall be brought down, and the mighty man shall be humbled, and the eyes of the lofty shall be humbled. But the Lord of hosts shall be exalted in judgment, and God that is holy shall be sanctified in righteousness. Then shall the lambs feed after their manner, and the waste places of the fat ones shall strangers eat. So you go back to verse 13. Their lifestyle will bring exile. They're feasting, they're celebrating without regarding the works of God. If God's covenant people disregard Him, He will bring exile. He'll kick you out of your homes. He'll kick you out of the promised land. And why is this? Well, lack of knowledge. They don't know Jehovah nor His works. They're not studying Him. They don't have any care about Him. They only care about their pleasure. Remember chapter 1. It said in chapter 1, The ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib. But Israel doth not know. My people doth not consider. So when the exile comes, the rich, the honorable will perish in hunger. And generally all will perish with no water. Verse 14, Hell and death is there personified as coming after these people. You understand, friends, all covenant breakers, hell comes for you if you're a covenant breaker. Hell comes for you. And in more accurate terms, the Lord's judgments come to you and for you. There are serious consequences for being a covenant breaker. The arrogant and prideful, verse 15, will be humbled. They'll be brought down low. Jehovah will be exalted. The Lord of armies, the Lord of hosts, will be exalted in judgment. When judgments come upon the covenant people of God, even the church, God is glorified. God is glorified, verse 16. He is exalted in His love and His righteousness. And even in His justice and judgments, He is exalted. His almighty power will show forth His glories. Look at Psalm, or think of Psalm 89. Thou hast a mighty arm, strong is thy hand, and high is thy right hand. Justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. Mercy and truth shall go before thy face. The Lord, who is perfectly pure and holy, shall be sanctified. The Lord who is perfectly pure and holy shall be sanctified. He will be declared and owned 
as holy. Even in the righteous punishment of the proud, so that the proud are humble. The Lord is great, who is great, is honored and ought to be honored and regarded by us, not dismissed. And so consider the Lord, friends, and His works. Every day consider what He has done. But you might ask, what about the few righteous in Judah? He answers that in verse 17. What about the few righteous who remain in Judah? That's the few, uh, some of the, the, the prophets, right? The true prophets. Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah. What about the few righteous who are like them? Verse 17, they will be relieved and built up. The humble who follow after the Lamb of God, like lambs, will feed quietly in green pastures again. When the enemies of the church, when the covenant people of God, who are covenant breakers and thus enemies of the bride of Christ, are cut off, then the church, the covenant keepers, have rest. They have rest. And yet the nation will be laid waste to destruction. One theologian says this, when the church of the Jews, those fat ones... Uh, was laid waste, their privileges were transferred to the Gentiles who had been long strangers. And the lambs of Christ's flock were welcome to them. And so we praise the Lord. We praise the Lord. Even in hope of the great coming in of the Jews and Gentiles to come. The third woe. Verse 18. Woe unto them that draw iniquity with cords of vanity and sin, as it were, with a cart rope. That say, let him make speed and hasten his work that we may see it. And let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw nigh and come, that we may know it. So this and the following woes don't have other judgments attached to them. You know the judgments. We have read the prophets, other prophets. We've read here, exile, desolation, famine. The Lord isn't changing. He's bringing His judgment upon covenant breakers. The word woe, children, the word woe is a pronouncement of judgment. And who's it coming to? Here it is, Judah filled with vanity, which draws behind them like ropes or cords behind them as they go. They are dragging behind them iniquity. Vanity draws forth sin and iniquity. Their sins bring about more sins. When the yoke of the Lord is easy and light, they prefer, because they're not looking to the works of the Lord, not regarding His works, they prefer defying Him, and therefore the burdensome oppression of sin they love to have around their necks. They're sarcastic about the Lord. They are filled with scoffing. They take the promises of the Lord, whether of blessing to covenant keepers or judgments to covenant breakers, and they mock the Lord, despise Him, and taunt Him. And when you bring this word to them, They will scoff. God isn't like that, they'll say, right? That's not, that's the Old Testament God, they'll say. We have learned otherwise, haven't we? That God does not change. And yet they scoff. 
And here they're scoffing. Verse 19. Hurry up, Lord. Implement Your plan that we can see it. So that we can know it. But the problem is that they're going to find out real quick, sooner than expected, God's response. Woe. Judgment. The fourth woe, verse 20. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Well, this woe perhaps hits very close to home for the church of Jesus Christ today. And yes, there are many in the church today, many congregations today, that are openly defiant like in the previous woe. And that's true. But so to hear this woe to those who have no clear moral distinctions. They have no clear moral distinctions. They come up with their morals on the spot. They're atheists and agnostics and, and whatnot. And they're in the church too. They distort the Word of God. They distort reality. To them, those things that are evil, dark, and bitter, they say and live the opposite, as if they're good and light and sweet. Those things that are good, light, and sweet, they say and live the opposite, as if they're evil, dark, and bitter. And it's often the case that distortion and blurring moral distinctions uh, comes when one is trying to justify their ways. Whether a covenant breaker or an unbeliever, even sometimes you Christian, when seeking to justify your ways, stand reality on its head. There is such a darkness in the heart that they are convict, convict, uh, convinced that their ways are right when they are not. Amos 5, Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. To what end is it for you? The day of darkness. The day of the Lord is darkness and not light. The whole point, friends, is this. Know this is that their perversity, because they have no clear moral distinction, their perversity shows in their utter distortion of all the moral values and the ways of God. The fifth woe, verse 21, Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes, and prudent in their own sight. More pride. Just like the first woe. When the covenant people have departed from the Lord, there is much arrogant self Reliance instead of looking to the Lord alone for guidance. They are wise in their own eyes, wise in their own sight. And how many, perhaps some of you, you think, uh, think you're really wise concerning the things of God. You think you know the doctrines, wiser than many in the church perhaps, you think, but the reality is you're wise in your own sight. Proverbs 3, it says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding, In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord, and depart from evil. In Jeremiah 9, similar passage, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might, let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. 
For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. And so if you're so committed to the Lord, then you will study and you'll study and study His character and His ways and His wisdom and to reject all the thinking that opposes Him. And where do we study Him but in His Word? In the Scriptures. And what is the beginning of wisdom? We could go to Proverbs. Psalm 111 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do His commandments. His praise endureth forever. The beginning of wisdom is not to acknowledge the Lord and fear Him. But all men and women who lack the wisdom, true wisdom, lean upon themselves by believing themselves to be wise, but as we read in the Proverbs, they're fools. And then the final woe, verse 22. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine, and men of strength to mingle strong drink, which justify the wicked for reward and take away the righteousness of the righteous from him. This final one is corruption and denial of true justice. Covenant breakers are corrupt and unjust. What is implied here is the feasting people we read about before, but those who engage in bribery to get the guilty found not guilty and let off. And we see that in our nation today a lot among the rich. But it happens in the church as well, friends. And I might be somewhat ignorant as to what the reward presbyters, elders, get at times for finding the wicked innocent and the innocent punished. But if it's anything, maybe it is this. The reward is ease of life. Friends, it's easier to cause hurt and injustice and guilt to the innocent and righteous, which declares them unrighteous, than it is to confront the sinner and bring judgments upon them. It's easier, friends, to just uh, to, to find the innocent guilty, even in the church, than it is to find the guilty and judge them. And so maybe that's the reward today in the church. It's easier. We won't go into it, but the law of the Lord is clear as to the great sin of taking bribes. For what lies behind the love of money, right where we started, the love of money and property. First Timothy 6, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. What's Paul talking about? He's talking about covenant breaking in 1 Timothy 6. They have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And so the fruit of covenant breaking we've seen is found in greed, disregarding the Lord, vanity leading to further sins, disregarding moral distinctions, arrogant self-reliance, and corruption and denial of true justice. Those are some of the fruits of covenant breaking. There's many more. But breaking covenant with the Lord and not believing on Him for your salvation from your sins leads to what? Bad fruit. And bad fruit leads to the Lord's judgments. Covenant breakers will have their homes destroyed. They'll be brought low. You'll die of uh, hunger and thirst and never be satisfied. That's a sad estate of the covenant breaker. 
Matthew 15, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. What happens to, some of you like to garden or do things around your house, what happens when you pull the weeds out or the plants out of the ground and the roots are no longer in the ground? It dries up and dies. Like within a day. Really quickly, anyway. And so as we've learned, friends, instead of being covenant breakers, make sure you abide in Christ. Right, John 15, Abide in Me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in Me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in Me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without Me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. And so we're told, Psalm 34, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in Him. When you refuse even to taste you assume the ways of the Lord are sour and uninteresting. When we act as rebels, we have no desire that God should rule over or regulate our lives. We're covenant breakers. And so let not the woes come upon you, but produce good fruit. Following after Christ, the fruit of covenant keepers who live and regard King Jesus. The second point this evening is foreign invaders. Foreign invaders. And this is about the ending, verse 24 to the end. It's about Assyria invading Judah as part of God's judgment upon covenant breakers. The great judgments that will come upon the covenant breakers will be invaded by a foreign nation. People who don't deserve to be in the land. These sins and fruits will bring upon Judah great judgments and then finally darkness and sorrow. And why? Why is that the result? It's because He promised this would happen if they were covenant breakers. If they broke covenant with Him in Deuteronomy 32. He promised this would happen if they did not heed His voice and follow Him. It says in Deuteronomy 32, To me belongeth vengeance and recompense. Their foot shall slide in due time, for the day of their calamity is at hand. And the things that shall come upon them make haste, for the Lord shall judge His people and repent Himself for His servants when He seeth that their power is gone and there is none shut up or left. And He shall say, Where are their gods? Their rock in whom they trusted which did eat the fat of their sacrifices, drink the wine of their drink offerings. Let them rise up and help you and be your protection. See now that I, even I, am He, and there is no God with me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. Neither is there any that can deliver out of my hand, for I lift up my hand to heaven and say, I live forever. If I wet, W-H-E-T, if I wet my glittering sword and mine hand take hold on judgment, I will render vengeance to mine enemies and will reward them that hate me. I will make mine arrows drunk with blood and my sword shall devour flesh and that 
with the blood of the slain and of the captives. From the beginning of revenges upon the enemy. Rejoice, O ye nations, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants, and will render vengeance to his adversaries, and will be merciful unto his land and to his people. In our passage it says, verse 24, Therefore as the fire devoureth the stubble, and the flame consumeth the chaff, so their roots shall be as rottenness, and their blossoms shall go up as dust, because they have cast away the law of the Lord of hosts, and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. Therefore is the anger of the Lord kindled against His people, and He hath stretched forth His hand against them, and hath smitten them, and the hills did tremble, and their carcasses were torn in the midst of the streets. For all this His anger is not turned away, but His hand is stretched out still. And He will lift up an ensign to the nations from far, and will hiss unto them from the end of the earth, and behold, they shall come with speed swiftly. None shall be weary, none nor stumble among them. None shall slumber nor sleep. Neither shall the girdle of their loins be loosed, nor that latchet of their shoes be broken, whose arrows are sharp and all their bows bent. Their horses' hoofs shall be counted like flint and their wheels like a whirlwind. Their roaring shall be like a lion. They shall roar like young lions. They shall roar and lay hold of the prey and shall carry it away safe and none shall deliver it. And in that day they shall roar against them like the roaring of the sea. And if one look unto the land, behold darkness and sorrow. And the light is darkened in the heavens thereof. The Lord's going to send Assyria to judge them. Friends, to the covenant breakers in the church will come unending judgments. But to everyone, covenant breakers, covenant keepers, those inside, those outside the church, to all those who are sinners, Christ is freely offered to save you from such judgments. Salvation is freely offered in Jesus Christ. And you can be saved from those unending judgments. All the darkness, all the sorrow that is set before you if you're a covenant breaker, you can be saved from that darkness and sorrow and Uh, if you would come by faith to Jesus Christ from your sins. Just come freely to the King and plead for mercy and grace in Him. He says, Repent ye and believe the Gospel. Mark chapter 1, Luke 13. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things. I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. So we're looking at... Judah, and what the Lord is saying, pronouncing His woes upon them. Judgment coming upon them because of their covenant breaking. And He gives you an example of what to do. Or those eighteen upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them. Think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay. And He looks at the people he's talking to, Jesus does, he says, nay, but except ye, you, repent. Ye shall all likewise perish just like them. And then he gives them that parable of the fig tree that we started with. And so, friends, you are to repent. The kingdom of heaven is here. Christ calls you today to look unto him. Why? 
He says that with great promises of comfort and blessing, He gives you His promise. Covenant of grace promise. Matthew 11. Come unto Me, all ye that are laden and are heavy burdened. Heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn of Me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. And ye shall find rest unto your souls, for My yoke is easy. And My burden is light. And what do the covenant breakers do? They say, I don't want the yoke that's easy. I don't want the burden that's light. I'll take my heavy yoke and my heavy burden and I'll be judged. It doesn't make any sense. That's what happens. And Jesus says, come to me and that yoke will be easy and that burden will be light. Let's pray. Our Father, we're thankful for Your Son, Jesus Christ. Once again, we're thankful that You teach us Your ways. We know it's hard to discuss and uh, consider covenant breakers. We pray that if there are any covenant breakers amongst us here this evening, we pray that You would turn them from their sins, for there's still, by Your grace, there's still time to repent. And yet, there is not always going to be time to repent. And so, Father, we ask that You would grant them faith and repentance that they would be saved from their, the great judgments that will come upon them for breaking covenant with You. We're thankful that we have a Savior freely offered to us who is the perfect, righteous covenant keeper, never once breaking covenant with You, and always and forever keeping covenant with You. And so, Father, we look to Him, and we ask that You would cause all the people here to look unto Him, to be their covenant keeping. That vine, that if we abide in the vine, we will live and not be not wither away and be burned, but that we will live and produce good fruit. And so produce good fruit in your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.